Man, if you've been following along with us in the story, you got to, like I said, pat yourself on the back because today is a milestone. You've made it. You've read all of the Old Testament uh, from beginning to the end, and you should be excited about that. Yeah, clap for yourself. Golf clap. We don't want to get too crazy. But uh, you, you should be excited about that. But as you flip the pages of the Old Testament, the heartbeat of incomplete gets louder and louder. The, the heartbeat and, and the need for completion, the need for something to fulfill it all, man, the craving grows more and more uh, until we get to the main part of God's story. Not that it's not important. All of God's story is important. And the Old Testament, man, I hope that as you've gone through it, has just reaffirmed your faith and built your faith and that God is always there, even in the incomplete and the brokenness. I mean, that's been obvious in the life of Israel, but it's definitely true here. Hey, before we keep going in the, in the sermon, I just want to tell you about the next couple of weeks. Uh, for the next two weeks, so we're going we're gonna to take a break from the store for two weeks. We're going to do a series called Life is a Bee. And what I mean by that is uh, life is about being. And being a Christ follower is about being. It's about doing. It's not about just chilling and calling yourself a Christ follower. It's actually being a Christ follower. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about Restore Church, our mission here in Jacksonville, uh, why we're here, how we got here, and what your next steps are as a part of that. And so uh, stick with us for the next two weeks in our series called Life is a Bee. And then, I just want to keep saying that, our series Life is a Bee. <laughs> Invite your friends to that one. That will be a good one. And then uh, we're going to do a series after that called The Most Interesting Man in the World, uh, talking about Jesus. Remember the first week of September, we're going crazy with our Christmas theme. All right, so wear your Christmas sweaters. It might be hot, so Christmas t-shirts, uh, your Christmas cutoffs, your be Christmas beach attire, wear your, uh, wear your Santa hats. Um, remember the movie that came out just, uh, like, I think it was like last year, the movie Sing? Yeah, yeah that's a good movie, right? All, all of the people with kids were like, yeah. All the people were like, no? You mean American Idol? No, I mean, I mean Sing. Um, I can remember watching this movie with my kids. Now, they had seen it like 342 times before I had actually sat down and watched it. But I remember watching this movie and thinking to myself, when is this movie ever going to end? It's like if you're on a road trip, it's a perfect movie for your kids because it just takes up so much time. But it's like all the, it's like it just never ends, never ends, never ends. And um, it's actually a, a pretty good movie, though. I mean, there's all kinds of twists, all kinds of plot twists uh, in it. But you guys remember, I don't want to give it away, even though I think like 99.3% of people have seen it in here. Um, but you remember the main characters, about an hour and a half into the movie, find themselves in this mess. They're trying to save this historic theater, and while trying to do it, have created this like, large mess. But here, here's, here's my point. An hour and a half into the movie, right? Like, I'm done. I'm a terrible movie watcher anyway, because I can be doing 100,000 other things and sitting here watching someone else live their life, right? And so... Um, I don't watch movies well, and I'm already, like, but I've invested an hour and a half of my time in this. I'm just going to go ahead and put the other, however much time is, but I'm looking at it, and I'm like, man, when is this movie ever going to end? This is going absolutely nowhere. Maybe I should go do something else. 
But in my defense, and, and maybe in your defense too, when you think about your life, is this. We just want things to be good, and we want them to be that way now. And so I'm watching this movie, and I'm, I catch myself because I'm like, I need a happy ending, and I want it right now. An hour and a half into this movie, I couldn't see it coming. And I didn't know where, where it was going, right? I just, I looked at their mess, and I was like, I don't know how this is going to get resolved. Maybe you're the same way this morning. You ever found yourself in just a mess? Right, of course, we all have. We've all found ourselves in, in some form of a mess. Maybe it was in the past. Maybe you're in some kind of mess now. But uh, maybe like the characters in the movie, you found yourself in a mess, and then you try to fix it yourself, and what happens? You just, you just make it messier. Life is messy. People are messy. Maybe you find yourself this morning in a financial mess. Maybe it's a few, thing, few decisions you made when you were young, young like 30, uh, <laughs> and, 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 and stupid. And you may have made a few decisions, and now you find yourself in a, in a financial mess. Maybe it's you've made a mess of your marriage, and, and you're sitting here wondering what it's going to be like next. Maybe it's a mess of your grade point average, or maybe you've made a mess of, of your career. Maybe it's an addiction that causes every day to be a mess. We've all at some point have treaded into messiness. I want to tell you, if this is your first Sunday here, or maybe you haven't heard us say this at Restore Church, but we love the mess. We don't want you to leave your mess in the parking lot. We want you to bring it in with you because we, we love the mess. God loves the mess, and he, he loves you. But maybe, maybe the mess you're thinking about isn't, isn't a mess necessarily you've made, but it's, it's just a result of, of living in a, in a messy world, right? Like messy politics has got you wondering uh, what's going on, or it's got you wondering the way things are going to turn out. Messy relationships, they leave you bitter and angry. Maybe you're sitting here watching a movie that you don't know how it's going to play out. And you're just wishing that you could have a happy ending right now. Maybe you're just hoping for a chance to start over, press the reset button. Well, the question is, if you find yourself in a minute, where do, where do we start? Where do we begin? Man, I, I love the reading through chapter 21 of the story this week. And we're introduced to a man named Nehemiah. So if you have your Bibles, uh, why don't you go ahead and find the book of Nehemiah. See, this is where the story is good. Because where you might look at the end of the Old Testament, right? It's not at the end of the Old Testament because the Bible doesn't read chronologically left to right. And so the story is good because it places it all there for us. Hey, if you need a Bible, uh, we got someone who, we got a few volunteers who will pass one out to you. If you just shoot your hand up real quick, they'll find you and, and get it to you. Um, we want you to follow along this morning with us through the life of Nehemiah. Um, hey, uh, before we really get into the actual book, I, I want to catch you up to where we are in the mess of the story. God creates everything, right? And we believe that, that God created everything in six days, and on the seventh day he rests. And he created a perfect place and his perfect power. But then it was all disrupted by uh, Adam and Eve, they rejected what God's plan was, 
um, because instead of displaying God's glory in their life, they want to display their own. You remember, they ate of the tree of, of knowledge of good and evil. The story progressed. Now we, we get to this new character, Abraham, and God makes a promise to Abraham that, that you will be the father of, of many nations. You will, you, will be, uh, you will walk into this promised land. We don't see that really pan out until we get to the book of Joshua. But then Abraham, right, he, he's got God's promise. He's following. He's got God's power, and then he lies about who his wife is. They walk into a nation that's not theirs, and he's afraid of what they're going to do to him because she's beautiful, and he says, this is my sister. But can you really blame him? Because she got him in kind of a predicament. She's like, hey, uh, we're not having kids. Why don't you go sleep with that woman and have a kid with her? Can you imagine Abraham like, wait, what? <laughs> is this one of those traps you're trying to do, or is this for real? And then he does it, and then she gets mad at her, and she gets mad at him, and uh, whatever. So Abraham is, is a liar. His son Jacob, is, uh, he's known in the Bible as being full of deceit. Moses, he's full, of, he, he's full of rage. He has a temper. He doubts God. Then you have King David, who's like a bright spot in the story, but he turns that bright spot into a blemish as he sees a woman that he wants. He has to have her. He sleeps with her. She gets pregnant, and then he murders her husband to cover it all up. It's like almost the whole testament is covered in mess. And so I want you to understand that while those little stories are so full of mess, God's upper story is not. And so I want to encourage you that if you're living in mess, like if you look at your life and you're like, man, this is a little bit too messy for God, it's a part of God's upper story, and we're just going to have to trust that God is in control. And here's where we find the nation of Israel. Eventually, they're going to turn away from God. And the nation of Israel that was one will be divided into two. There's going to be the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And both turn their back on God. And in the year 586 B.C., it's historical. So if you're one of those history nerds a little bit like me, you can look back in history books and see that in 586 B.C., the Babylonians come and they take captive of Judah, the southern kingdom. And they destroy Solomon's temple, and they take all of God's people away from their home. Where could the story possibly go from here? God, where are you now? It's like at this point in the movie, you know, like it's over halfway, if you're reading through your Bible, right? The Old Testament is more than half. It's over halfway done, and you're wondering, how is this thing going to finish? Well, it's, it's true. God's not finished with his people. You can write this down. Every time God makes a promise, he fulfills it. God will not make a promise that he will not fulfill. And so here's the truth that the Israelites are going to discover today, and, and I think it's going to hold true for our lives also. It's, it's on the Restore app, if you're following along with us there, the YouVersion Bible app, or maybe you're following with us, with us on the screen, but um, maybe you're just jotting down notes. Your mess is no match for God's mercy. Your, your mess is no match for God's mercy. Well, since we left off last week... You remember there were three waves of people. Remember, all right, so let's, let's get back to the whole story. 
God's people are exiled from their homeland. They do not have a place to call their home. Well, then King Cyrus, he sends a big wave of Jews back to rebuild the temple. Remember Ezra. Last week was the second wave led by Esther, who she's, she was raised for such a time as this to deliver her people. Well, there's still a third wave of, of people, and this is 70 years later, that after, and, and this is 70 years after that. Well, God at some point promised that, that the temple would be rebuilt, and it was, and it was built by Ezra and his, and, and his wave, but the city of Jerusalem is still in ruins. And that's where we find Nehemiah. That's the context that surrounds us. Nehemiah finds himself living uh, in style. He's, he's cooling it. He's, he's chilling. Like he's, he's, got the, he's got the 401k. He's got the insurance policy. He's got the king. The king's got his back. But he's living 800 miles away from Jerusalem, and he's living in Persia. He's the cupbearer to the king. Now, that doesn't mean anything to you, maybe. But here's what it means in, in those times. If the king ordered wine, Nehemiah got to take a sip out of it before then. You guys are like, hey, Roger, is there a sign-up for that for you? Like, if you're going to order a beer, i got to take a sip of it. That's a good, that's a good deal. Um, no, but if you want to do that, just let me know. We'll go hang out. That's cool. <laughs> but here's what, uh, here's what it means in biblical times. Is it's not really, I mean, it's a cool position, but if someone's going to attack the king, what they're going to do is attack his food and his drink. They're going to poison him. And so it's Nehemiah's job to taste them and to test them, and the king sees him eat these, uh, this, this poisonous stuff. Of course, he's not going to, right? And so here's, here's Nehemiah. But Nehemiah receives word about Jerusalem, and man, it destroys him. Uh, this group of people, the Eastern North Carolina Christian Men's Fellowship, they say, hey, we've got a location. We want to plant a church, um, but we don't have a church planter. So our conversation went, went a little bit like this. What's, what's the city? They said Jacksonville, North Carolina. I said, I didn't know there was a Jacksonville, North Carolina. And they said, uh, uh, well, why don't you just, just study the city a little bit, uh, take a trip down there, you and your family, and see if it's a place you can plant a church. 75% of people who live in Jacksonville don't claim any kind of spirituality or religion at all. That leaves over 60,000 people. Over 60,000 people in Jacksonville who do not know Jesus. And for a city that my family didn't know, our hearts broke. And it's like, it kind of doesn't matter if we can live there or not. Man, we got to go, right? We got to be there. We got to tell this story of grace and mercy. We got to tell the story that God's, that your mess is no match for God's mercy. So follow along with me here, Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, or if you're following along in, in the story, it's on page 295. They said to me, this is Nehemiah writing, they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, Lord, when we read through this, do your prayers look like this? Do they sound like this? Listen to how he starts this. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenants of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. 
Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayers your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. Man, Jeremiah has this like great source of empathy for people he has never met before. He mourned, the Bible says. He fasted. We've seen that two weeks in a row. He prayed. He knew what was at stake. See, this was not just about a physical renewal of a city. This is about spiritual renewal of God's people. And you might be sitting in your seat this morning thinking, this isn't about a physical rebuilding. This is about a spiritual rebuilding of the person in your seat. And so if you want to start rebuilding, uh, let's look at the life of Nehemiah. The first uh, step to rebuilding, it starts with prayer. I don't know about you, but uh, whenever I get in a circumstance in my life where I find myself in a mess, you know the first thing that comes out of my mouth, and it might be the first thing that comes out of your mouth, is what am I going to do? Or you might look at your finances toward the end of the month and, and your, your, your phrase might say, what are, what are we going to do? Do you see what Nehemiah does? He goes to the only one who can do anything really about it. Instead of sitting around saying, what am I going to do, man? He goes to God in prayer and he begins reminding himself of who God is. Did you see? He says, God, you are great and you're awesome your God who keeps your covenants or your promises of love. And then he says, God, listen to your servant. And then he confesses his sins. He says, I confess the sin of me and my father and, and my family. Look, if you're looking for some kind of spiritual renewal, if you're looking to start over, this is a great place to start. A prayer like this, a clean slate with God. Well, he prays. He prays for the success uh, with the king. And, and then God grants it. Nehemiah, remember like Esther last week, who we read about last week, he believes so much that this mess is no match for God's glory or for, for God's mercy that he's willing to put his life on the line by going before the king. Remember last week, Esther says, I can't go before the king because if he doesn't extend his scepter, he'll kill me. Well, Nehemiah is the same way, but he believes that God's, uh, that your mess is no match for God's mercy, and he's like, I'm going to do it anyway. And it turns out that Nehemiah knows the king better than, than anybody else. And so no, Nehemiah goes before the king, and he'd say, listen to what he would, he, the verse he says. He says, because the gracious hand of God was on me, because of the gracious hand of God was on me, the king granted my requests. Now, the king did more than that. We're, we're talking about a new king now, not King Xerxes from last week, but King Artaxerxes, which is his, his son. Uh, he, he not only sent him away, but he sent him away with everything he needed, his food, his, his drink. He sent him away with letters to protect him. I don't know how a letter is going to protect you, but he, he did. I just imagine someone coming up and saying, dude, I'm going to rob you. And he's like, hold on, wait, I got this letter. Oh, my bad. My bad. Just keep going. 
But God, man, he starts to work through this king who does, who's not a follower of God, but he starts to work through the king to make all of this story happen. Well, Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem. The plan is set. He's going to start to rebuild the city brick by brick. But there's another lesson that we need to learn in rebuilding. And uh, we see this pattern. He, he doesn't, uh, Nehemiah doesn't jump right in to setting up. He doesn't go right away to laying bricks. But what does he do first? He prays. He observes the situation and only then does he go to the people. Look here in, in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17 to 18, or if you're following along in the story, it's, in page two, it's on page 296. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And then, then they replied, let's start building. So they began this work right away. So they started this work, right? And, and here's what we know. Man, when you start following Jesus 100%, when you start doing things, when you start rebuilding, Satan, like, it peaks him up. Like, he wakes up. Because if you're not following Christ, he doesn't care. He's winning, right? No no um, energy required. But you start following Jesus, man. You start making good decisions. You start making holy decisions. You start trying to follow Christ. Satan wakes up. Well, he does that also. The people of Jerusalem want to start, or the pe God's people want to start building Jerusalem. And then there are people like this cat named Sanballat. He's the governor of Samaria where all this is happening. And, and for him, man, he's going to lose political power if they, if they build this city, I mean, it's right on his back door. And if they build this city, man, the king's going to be upset with him. And so Sambalot starts, uh, starts to spread rumors about Nehemiah, that he, that Nehemiah is starting a, a riot, that Nehemiah is starting this, this uproar against the king. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 3, or 297 in the, the story says, Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break their walls of stone. What's Nehemiah to do? He returns to prayer while his enemies return to the drawing board. That's good. Write that down. You, I guess you didn't catch it because I didn't hear anyone go, Oh, shoot! Like that. He returns to prayer while his enemies return to the drawing board. Their next strategy now, they can't, uh, they can't discourage him. They can't get to him. And so their next strategy is to try to kill Nehemiah. All right, let's try to cover this. They, they plot to kill him. The walls go up, and so, do, so does the blood pressure of the enemy. Man, they're, they're so frustrated. They're watching Jerusalem be built brick by brick. I, I want to tell you this, that there are still Sanballats, and there are still Tobias in your life, and they're surrounding you. Some of you are like, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Maybe you've met people like this. You try to do right and they're trying to steer you wrong. Right? You're trying to pull yourself up and start your life all over again. And at the same time, they're trying to pull you down. They're trying to bring you back into your old way of life. Man, when you become a Christ follower, the, 
the new, like the old becomes new. But you have Sambalots and Tobias that are trying to pull you back and trying to make the old the old again. And we've all have, uh, we all have these exposed places in our lives. Here's what happens. There's exposed places. They're trying to build the city, right? And there's still holes in the walls. And so Nehemiah, what he does is he puts people there. He puts families there. He puts communities there. And at some point, they're building, at some point in the story, they're building brick by brick with a weapon in their hand. And they're trying to defend as the walls of God's city goes up. And they're trying to cover all of the quote-unquote exposed places as the Bible calls it. Now, I think the same holds true for us, right? We, we all have exposed places in our lives, places of vulnerability and weakness. Maybe for you, it's when everyone's gone to bed and the light of a computer screen is all that's lit in your home. Maybe for you, it's, it's you just need more and we're already that much in debt. Why not keep going? Maybe for you, it's just a glance. I mean, if I just look and don't touch, nothing's going to happen, right? Hey, I want to ask you this question. Who's standing guard for you in your life? Who's standing at the weak points? Who is it that's defending and protecting you? There is no doubt in my life right now that God is trying to teach me something. I'll tell you a cool story. Uh, this, this week, three men in our church. Now, I haven't. Ask for this. Sometimes God answers questions or answers prayers you're not praying. And uh, this past week, three guys said, hey, can we have lunch? Hey, can we meet? Can we have coffee? And I'm always down to eat and have coffee, those two things. And, uh, and so, God, they all use the same language. I want to protect you. I want to help you, and I want to pray for you. And it's like, man, God's trying to teach me something that I need to put. And then I have to preach this sermon, right? That I've got to put pe- people and other, and, and, and other Christians and Christ followers in the weak spots of my life. Are you doing that? Nehemiah's case, he does that as they build this city. And, and the, this frustrated the enemy to no end. Every time the enemy makes a move, God and Nehemiah, they do the same thing. God, God hasn't given up, and he's not going to give up. If you're in your mess, God's not going to give up, but Satan won't either. And so there's this last card that the enemy has to play. They, they want to try to kill him. They want to discourage him. Neither one are, are happening, and so they try to distract. They try to distract. Here's number two. Uh, rebuilding a spiritual life requires focus. I got to listen to another preacher a couple months ago, and and actually he was preaching about the story of Nehemiah, and his whole sermon was about prayer, but he said, here's what prayer does. It aligns us with the vision of God. Prayer isn't so much to change God's mind as it is to change ours to align more with his. There's a story that goes around about a a New York lawyer, big city kind of guy, and he comes down to our slow-paced life here in North Carolina. And he goes on a duck hunting trip uh, with, with a few of his friends. And sure enough, man, the adrenaline starts coming as he sees some ducks with their quick flapping wings come across. And he raises his shotgun and he shoots the, down the lead duck. Well, as he watches it fall, he sees that it falls just on the other side of a fence. 
And so big time, New York City lawyer, he comes up to, to the fence, he climbs the fence, and he grabs it. And as, just as he grabs the duck, the farmer who owned the land approached him. And the farmer said, what are you doing with my duck? The lawyer said, your duck? This is my duck. I, I shot him. I'm going to take him home. And the farmer replied, well, he landed on my side of the fence. This is my property. Well, the lawyer doesn't like this, man. He says, listen here, old timer. Uh, I'm going to sue you for everything you, you're worth if you don't back off. This is, this is my duck. I'm one of the most well-known lawyers in all of New York, and I will take this duck and your entire farm and every penny you've ever earned if you don't leave me alone. The farmer said, man, listen, we do a little bit different here in North Carolina. We do the three-kick law. The lawyer said, I don't know anything about the three-kick law. And he said, well, let me tell you about the three-kick law. The farmer said, the three-kick law is I'm going to kick you three times. Then you kick me three times, and I'm going to kick you three times, you kick me three times. And the first one to quit, the other person gets the duck. Well, the lawyer, seeing that this man's kind of older, and he's, you know, so prideful, he's like, look, we'll do it your way. We'll do the three-kick law, and you being in the condition you are, I'll let you go first. And so the farmer says, sure, we'll do it your way. So kicks him one time right in the shin. You ever been hit in the shin? That's not cool. So then he falls to his knees, and just as he falls to his knees, the farmer shoves his heel right in his stomach. Oh, and as the as the uh, the lawyer bends over, the um, the the farmer takes his steel toe boot and puts his big toe right in the dude's ear. The guy like falls, and then as he gets up, he said, "All right, old timer, it's my turn." And the farmer said, "Now forget it. You can have the duck." <laughs> That's a, that's a good story. Got it. Look, if they can't kill him, if they can't discourage him, the best thing is to do is to distract him. Get their mind off, get his mind off of what he's supposed to do. And I think in our world right now, Satan's best tactic to get you away from serving God is to distract you. And he can distract you with really good and noble things uh, like work. Look, don't give up your pursuit of Christ to become a workaholic. Don't give up the people who live in your home just so you can make a few more dollars. Like, don't give up time with the people who are in the same room as you because you want to see if people who aren't in the same room as you liked your status. Like, Satan will distract you in any way possible, and the thing is, most of the time, we don't know it. Nehemiah, he, he, he built, rebuilt the walls. The walls are finished, but in the gates there are no doors. And so that's the last thing to be done in the city is, is there aren't any doors. And so Sambalot and his right-hand man, Geshem, they send this message to Nehemiah. It says this, Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me, Nehemiah says. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Nehemiah keeps his focus. Don't you love that question as you read it? Uh, Why should I go down to you? Don't you know that I'm carrying on a great project? You ever wish you had a great project? Like sometimes you just wish you had something to do. Look, you do. It doesn't matter if you're single, if you're married, if you're raising children, if you're an empty nester, if you're rich or poor, you've been given some sort of project. 
It might be raising children in the ways of the Lord so when they're older, it will not depart from them. Or maybe the project you've been given is mentoring someone. We've been talking about creating a, a program here as we partner with Clyde Irwin to show young men what it's like to have a father figure in their lives. And so if you're interested in, in helping us with that, man, we need you. If you're a man and, and, and you want to mentor one of these young boys, uh, just, just let me know. Um, specifically, they've asked for, uh, well, one, any man who's, who's willing, but they said there's a definite absence in African-American and Latino, uh, Latino population. And so if that's you, man, partner with us as we try to shape young men. Some of you, it's praying with a coworker. As you're trying to be the chaplain of where you work, live, and play, maybe it's praying with a coworker or walking across the room and inviting them to church. It's, it's probably not rebuilding a wall for you, but maybe it's rebuilding a life. Maybe it's rebuilding a home or rebuilding a marriage or rebuilding a relationship or rebuilding just what you at one time had with God. In the book of Revelation, John writes to the church of Ephesus and he says, Do not forget your first love. Or keep your focus. And just like with Nehemiah, Nehemiah keeps his focus like he lasers in and he's trying to build these doors in the gates. And just like Nehemiah, God did not leave him. God did not forget him. And I want to tell you, in the middle of your mess, God will not leave you nor forsake you like it says in Hebrews. Man, we serve a God who specializes in mess. And he loves, he loves it. And just like God fought for Nehemiah, he will fight for you. The, the Israelite people, they finished the walls and, uh, and they finished the doors. They accomplished this task in 52 days. And I want to, uh, we'll just say it this way. When God gives you a purpose, man, he's got the plan. And sometimes we just need to wait to see what it is. Uh, I, I don't want to talk about, you know, our church planning journey too much, but um, I feel like I already have today, which is strange, but... Um, uh, when, when we were going to leave Elizabeth City, which was a big deal for us. We were going to leave our home, our, our family, our friends, our network, and we were going to come, uh, we were going to move to Newburn, spend a year there, and then move down to Jacksonville. And uh, the, the biggest thing that we had, and one of our fleeces that we set out before God was, God, you got to sell our house. We can't afford to take on, a, 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 keep paying our mortgage and take on rent somewhere else. And so can you... God, do something. And so our realtor, we met with our realtor, and we said, hey, we need to sell this house, but we all need to be moving uh, by August. That's when this whole plan kicks off and starts. And so um, what do you think? And this was in June, and she said, all right, to, to be out of here by the end of, or by the end of July, beginning of August, you got to be in a contract in 30 days. Now, with our price point and where we're trying to sell our house, man, she, she didn't say it with a whole bunch of confidence. There were houses in our area that had been listed for over 100 days in the same price point. And, man, it was a little bit discouraging. So we, like, cut the price down. We're trying to get out of this house. We're trying to get the new room. And day 10 came by. God, you got to sell this house, man. Day 20 came by. God, you got to sell this house. I mean, we're showing it like crazy. God, you got to sell this house. God, you got to sell this house. Uh, God put us in a contract on day 30. And when God has a purpose for you, he's got a plan. You just got to find it. And through prayer and focus is where we do that. And, man, God, God is fighting for you. 
here's, here's what happens. They, they build this city, and, and when they get the walls up, what do you think would be, what do you think would be the, next, the next step? Man, let's celebrate, right? Let's, let's party. And, and so, you know, what they did is they held this big banquet, and they brought Nehemiah up, and they said, the, the best award for the best planning strategy comes to Nehemiah. No, that, that's not what they did. What they did is had this worship service, and they praised God for who he is. Um, and so here's the third, third thing. Rebuilding leads to a life of worship. Rebuilding leads to a life of worship. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 6, or page 300 in the story, it says that Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Um, here's uh, when I'm watching the movie Sing, or when you go watch the movie Sing this afternoon. Um, as you watch, you know you, you watch Mr. Moon. Like his life is is just taken in front of him, right? All all of he ever worked for just crashes down, and then when you get to the end, you're like so happy and excited for for all that they've accomplished and. I think one lesson that I learned from the movie Sing is that waiting in your mess is worth it. Sometimes being in the mess is right where God wants you. And he wants you to pray and seek him so you will find him. And he wants you to focus your entire life on him. Because if you can worship God in the mess, you can worship him when you get out of it. It makes it all worth it. Your mess is no match for God's glory. Your mess is no match for God's mercy. And his mercy has a name, and his name is Jesus. And when you give your mess to Jesus, God doesn't look on you and see your messy life. He doesn't look on you and see what you've done. He looks on you and he sees what Jesus has done. All he sees is what Jesus has done on the cross. You know, you're going to spend a lot of time thinking about your mess, and you're going to spend some time thinking about mistakes you made. Don't let those things define who you are or define the trajectory of your life. Would you let the cross of Jesus define that for you? Would you start calling yourself a child of God Start thinking of yourself as someone who was fought for by the most powerful and loving being in the universe. All right, here's what we're going to do. If you need to rebuild your life, if you want to start today, you need to do just what Nehemiah did. Start with prayer. Do whatever you have to do to stay focused on what God has called you to. Maybe it's a brand new start. And take time to worship every day. God was faithful to, to God Nehemiah, and God is faithful to God you also. Uh, we believe that, and I hope you do too. Hey, God, we love you, and, uh, and we, we thank you for, for who you are. God, for being present and not absent, for being powerful and not weak, for being loving and not vengeful. And so, God, today there is some rebuilding that needs to be done here. God, whether it's 
it's in our homes, or, or maybe it's, it's in our seats. God, give us courage and strength and power. God, let us forgive ourselves as you've forgiven us. Let us forgive those uh, that, that we need to forgive. God, as we pursue you, as, as we try to be Christ followers, God, I, I pray that, as, as, that, that you, you become the goal, nothing else in this world will satisfy except for you. Now we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.